It is not enough in business to mean well. It is not enough in business to work hard. You can do everything right and still have it all taken away from you. Our guest today grew a business where he had over a hundred agents working for him and had it all vaporize on him. And in the first half we're going to dig into what he did and what the emotional roller coaster of that was like. My intention here is to give you a fighting chance. If you are a founder and in this difficult situation, what do you do? So by hearing Mark's story, you'll be able to recognize, I hope, the symptoms of what's going on and make some different choices. The second half of the interview gets into the business that Mark is running now where he is running a group and a program for helping coaches clarify their market and find clients. So let's dig in. We are back for another lean and mean episode of the Cold Star Project. We're here with Mark Mawinney, the guy who runs Natural Born Coaches. He has been through some iterations in his life and scaled and lost it all and come back and come back swinging. So I love that. I want to dig into the story. I think what we could talk about today is scaling your processes. What do you think about that? Sounds good. Okay. So you ran a real estate business prior to 2008, a major year <laughs> in the real estate world. Tell us a little bit about what you did there. I like that you say several iterations in my life because that sounds better than colossal F-ups and you know, <laughs> fa failures. Um, in a nutshell, uh, my past life was in real estate. I've been coaching now for almost five years. But in real estate, I started back in 2000 as a fresh-faced 21-year-old kid. And really, I looked about 15. And over the course of the decade, I built my business up. And I built it up starting with one or two agents on my team, and then it grew to 15 or so. And then eventually, uh, by the beginning of 2009, I started my own brokerage, which grew to 100 agents and employees, and then um, came crashing down <laughs> later that year. I'm sure we'll get into it. But, I, but ironically, I started the business after the 2008 hiccups that you guys experienced. I'm in Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's the saying that uh, in Canada, we say when the U.S. catches uh, sneezes, we catch a cold. Just takes a little while to, to reach Canada. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, I left Canada around that time. I left in 2009. So it, it, ah, it, it okay. had happened. Yeah. Uh, and then I got down here and found everything was just desolate, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, supposed to be finding a new job and you know are starting a company in that and there's really nothing I mean it was great for sales training well great. you know it's really weird for me I knew what was going on with the 08 stuff in the mm -hmm. US because I, I follow the news and all that stuff yeah. maybe it's because I was a cocky I was gonna say 20 something kid but by then I was just turning I was around 30 but I kind of had this um which is good for an entrepreneur to have, but it can also be bad. I had this total confidence in myself because I'd never failed. Every year I was, my commissions numbers were doubling and it was just, you know, growth, growth, growth. And I kind of bought into my own uh, press, I guess, and hey, I can do nothing wrong. So uh, screw those minor 
economic hiccups in the U.S. will be fine. I, I was looking more at my own economy with myself, and that seemed like the logical step. And Monday morning quarterback, it's always easier playing that, right? I, I would have done things differently, but I wasn't scared off by what was going on in the U.S. because, of course, there were in real estate a common thing that's said it's not always true but a lot of agents have their best years when the market crashes because mm -hmm. it weeds out the weaker agents and it leaves more for the strong agents so i wasn't scared off by that but it definitely had an impact on us the first month or two that my brokers was open 2009 our market was crap and mm -hmm. it it still hasn't recovered really but it really took a big hit in 2009. scary but i know yeah the canada bubble um, what that feels like and and that also I appreciate though the sense of self-determination right that I believe that's really important for an entrepreneur so you're getting up towards a hundred people here who are working for you tell us a little bit about the systems the communication the standards how are you managing all these people or are they just kind of free to run well, anyone who knows real estate knows in a lot of ways, they're more like free agents. They're not the typical employees. So while I had employees that were working in min duties, I had a property management company that worked under the roof, a mortgage company, a lawn care company, and for some reason, a home staging company. God knows what. I just basically anything housing related, eh, let's, let's do it. With real estate, real estate agents, they're much more... Um, the independent contractor, solopreneur almost, right? They're each their own little business. Um, the tricky thing for us was we grew so quickly because one day we've got 15 agents, which was a tight, cohesive unit, good agents and all that. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, bang, there's, I'm like, okay, who's that person? Did we hire that person or did they just come in off the street? No, we hired them because I had, you know, managers and stuff handling the hiring and I wasn't prepared for that kind of growth. I was used to ma managing a small real estate team, mm -hmm. not several offices spread out over a couple markets and all these people, right? And that was part of the problem. That was my fault. I learned a hard lesson that way. Uh, but yeah, the growth was too much and it, it was a case of growing too big too fast. So. Tell us about the, the, the hard lesson you learned. I want to hear about that. Oh, boys, uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> Get into it. <laughs> I've always said that I, I've learned more in those um, couple of years because I had the 09 closure, got back into real estate doing flipping and stuff like that. That didn't work out. In 2012, I just said, okay, I'm washing my hands of real estate. I'm done not having fun. And that eventually led to me starting coaching in 2014. But um, I always say that in that, that couple year period where I was struggling, I learned probably more than all those years with no challenges or no struggles uh, or very few. So what was a hard lesson? Um, unfortunately, not to be a pessimist, but I tend to, you, you know, I'm a fan of thick face, black heart. So mm -hmm. I'm not the woo woo. Everybody loves you and they're all in it for you or whatever. I'm much more uh, humans are uh, by nature interested in themselves. They're, they're for self-preservation. And I learned, that's one thing I learned from that closure is who who I would consider a friend and who, who wasn't a friend because a lot of people bolded mm -hmm. once a gravy train stopped, they were moved on. So, you know, um, I, I guess I would say that I, I became a little bit more cynical towards people. Even today, I, I take a different view of people where before I had subscribed to that view that you read in business books all the time. That, hey, you treat your people well, give them good bonuses, incentives, and all this other stuff, and they'll love you forever. That's not the case. <laughs> 
A big reason why we closed was I was too generous, you know, with the contests with giving agents big screen TVs and bonuses and all that stuff. I should have been tighter on paying out, but you know, that's Interesting. life. Any other big lessons that stand out? Um, other than what I mentioned that, that you gotta be careful growing too, too big, too fast. And, and that is a challenge for entrepreneurs. Uh, every day we have to build our own, like they talk about with Steve Jobs, reality distortion field, <laughs> because if not, we wouldn't be able to do this every single day. And, uh, I'm reading a book currently actually listening to the audio version about, uh, Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos. You know her whole situation. Not so much. Anyone wants to Google it? Uh, she was the wonder kid of Silicon Valley. She had a technology that would allow uh, for testing of blood. You take a little mm. a prick of blood and put it into a machine, and you could find out all this stuff. They end up finding out it was basically like a fraud, <laughs> and uh, everything collapsed. And now she's in legal trouble. And I'm listening to the audio book now and she was very much like that with an entrepreneur where she just had to, she was go, 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 this is going to work out. And she ignored a lot of glaring problems and kept pushing bigger and bigger. And I think that's a challenge for entrepreneurs is how do you be aggressive, but you mm -hmm. also have to protect your backside while you're doing it. And that can be a tricky balance to try to achieve. Hmm. So even though you may have this company that you're a founder of and great people that work with you, Hmm. If there's a bit of a downturn or some bumpy roads ahead, you may find that they're not as much of your friends as you thought. Well, the saying I've heard in real estate, the nice ones stab you in the front. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so at the yearly Christmas parties, everyone's hugging and everyone's all friends. And when they're out at your shot, it's like, Oh, did you hear about her? She's cheating on her husband with so-and-so. Hmm. Oh, he, he's got a drug problem. She's doing this. And they're just like, not not saying everyone's like that. There's some great agents out there, but being a uh, commission, especially commission-based industry, where everyone's fighting for this for the, those commissions, it can get very testy. It's one of the things I love about coaching. I'm not trying to say we're all dancing around a bonfire singing kumbaya and we love each other all the time. I don't know if you've found this, but I find that it's a much more collaborative environment. Mm -hmm. So if Jason gets a client, uh, where are you now? Are you in North Carolina? Yeah. Okay, so if you get a client in North Carolina, I'm not grumbling, thinking, oh, geez, Jason just took food off my plate, grumble, grumble, compared to real estate in the same market. If somebody gets a list, oh, gee, I talked to that person before. Why did they list with them? That just You're envisioning the lost commissions from that. Coaching is much more collaborative. Interesting. When, if you had to do it all over again, what, what kinds of standards or processes would you use when it came to hiring? Uh, you know, I, I think overall that uh, we hired good people and, and I'm not trying to blame the people we brought on at the end. Uh, it was my, the problem or the mistake that I made was assuming that if you have, let's say 15 agents making X amount of commissions, I made the mistake of assuming, okay, well, if we have, let's say 60 agents, then they're going to be making four times what those 15 agents were, right? Because you just multiply it by four. That's not the case. There's that law of diminishing returns. It's going to take those newer agents coming on later a while to get rolling with it. So we're in a tough position where we had to grow because we're off on our own and we had to be aggressive with growth. So you have to bring in people and you have to, but it takes time to train them and for them to get going. We didn't have the luxury 
of time. So I don't know if I would have changed much with the actual hiring part of it. I had some great people on the team. It was more my mistake not giving a long enough runway to really get going. And there were a few factors that popped up in 2009 that were local factors, not just the 08 recession in the U.S., but uh, we had a number of big energy projects in my market that were set to go billions of dollars. A new nuclear power plant, new oil refinery was set. All these major projects, every single one got canceled. I just bang, bang, bang. Uh, so that was a big issue. Um, that January and February, we had really go figure in Canada, January and February, crappy weather, but extremely crappy weather. So sales in, I think it was February of 09, were like half of what the, normally the local real estate market would have had. So even though our market share was great when it, we compared it to where other companies were and all that stuff, we weren't getting the number of sales we need because the overall number of sales for the whole market were down. So, I mean, there, there's a few things there. Hmm. I could see something like that happening in the SaaS world as well. Mm. It, it, looking at it again with the Monday morning quarterback kind of idea, given that there was this lurch in your business that had huge negative results, right? What would you do differently? Is there anything that you could do to plan ahead? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I had a lot of uh, rumors and whispers when we closed that, oh, Mark skipped town with everyone's commissions. He's on an island down south and all this stuff. And I heard someone say this and I said, I wish I would have done that now looking back. There's my Monday morning quarterback. It would have been <laughs> on some island on the beach. Instead of, you know, stupid me, keep my, I kept my phone number, my, you know, same phone number. And I was trying to work with the government uh, to get the commissions paid out because, Long story, local real estate uh, association didn't have any mechanism to collect the, or didn't want to collect the commissions. They didn't want to touch them. They're radioactive. They said, you're out of business, but we don't know how to get them out. So for seven months, my life was on hold. And part of me thinks that was the right thing to do, but there's part of me that thinks, you know what, maybe I should have just changed my phone number and, and said, F off, don't talk to me. You know, I got to move on with my life. But anyways, um, I don't know. I, I think that... Um, the number one, one of the big things for entrepreneurs is you have to keep that nest egg. And uh, I didn't do that. I was throwing everything into the business um, because that was my baby. And, and I thought that's the right thing to do. But I could see the advantage for having that good size rainy day fund, or I've heard it called a screw you fund. So you don't have to take on clients you don't want to work with that as well. I would say put away some money for a rainy day because it's not always going to be good times. And our market was going up, up, up for about a decade. It was consistently going up and then bang, it went down fast. It's the, the good times aren't always going to last. That's not me being pessimistic, being realistic. No, no. And I, yeah, I've had programs that I sold online in front of a target market that would sell at a certain rate for a while and years. And you would think this was going on forever and then it dries up. Eventually demand disappears. We want to ignore those signs, right? We want to assume that it's always going to be good. So, okay, well, if we made, um, you know, $250,000 this year, we're going to make 350 next year. And then we're going to make 450 or 500. Doesn't always work like that. Right. Despite all the effort <laughs> that we put yeah. in the universe and your, um, your competition does not care how much effort you put in. 
Yeah, that's the advantage that we talked about hindsight, but also age and experience. Because when I started business in real estate, I was fresh out of university. Like I said, I was 21 years old. You haven't experienced enough of life, you know, and I don't want to be one of these people who mock 20 year old life coaches because you see people not mocking them all the time in my current thing. But there's something to be said for someone who's lived through the ups and downs. So if I could hop in a DeLorean, go back to 2008, 2009 and talk to Mark from back then, that was, you know, roughly 10 years ago. I've learned an awful lot in 10 years. I wouldn't make a lot of the mistakes that I'd made. But at the time, I was doing what I thought was best, right? Because right. that's all I could do. I, you can't look in the crystal ball or whatever. So yeah. experience there, is very valuable. There is a great temptation when things are going really bad to die with honor. Go down with the ship like Captain Smith of the Titanic. Oh, God. Well, remember the uh, poster with the little kitten hanging on the clothesline? Hang mm. in there. That's mm -hmm. what I was in 2009. <laughs> right up until the day the business closed, that was when I probably sunk in the hay market's dead. Up to then, anyone looking from the outside would be like, hey, you're, you're done, just close up shop. Me, I'm like, don't hang in there, typical right. entrepreneur. One more roll of the dice. <laughs> well, there's, there's another lesson. If anyone listening is going through a rough time, and let's say they're literally killing themselves, not eating, not sleeping, they're stressed out, they're just not having fun, there's nothing wrong with giving up. I know it gets a bad, a bad reputation, and I hate giving up anything. Mm -hmm. But there's some things you shouldn't stick with. And it's a little melodramatic to say real estate was killing me, but right when the business closed, um, you know me, I'm not like a huge guy. I don't have a ton of weight to afford to lose. I lost 30 pounds in that like short little span. You could literally take uh, my jeans with a belt on the tightest rung and you could, or hole, you could pull my jeans down. Right. I went, I, I just, uh, honestly, it looked like um, I was like uh, Tom Hanks in Castaway. I'd been on an island, you know, with Wilson, the volleyball mm -hmm. for, for a while. At one point, the business closed on a Tuesday. I hadn't eaten between that Wednesday and Sunday night. Sunday night, I thought, when did I eat last? Wow. I was surviving on five-hour energy shots. Remember, you know, those little, yep. Yep. That, that was my diet. So actually, if anyone wants to lose weight, this might, maybe it's better to go to the gym and eat healthier. The other thing is to build up a big business and then go through a stressful closure. And there's another way to lose weight. I, I don't, wouldn't recommend it. Good deal. <laughs> I, I can say that I found the way that though. I did come back eventually, but it wasn't healthy. I just looked like a walking zombie. I was pasty white, sleeping 20 minutes a night, literally 20, 30 minutes. And oh, it was awful. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't wish it on, on my worst enemy. It's not fun. right. Wow. I want to get out of this <laughs> negative zone <laughs> into, into the coaching business. Have you had anyone like blow their heads off during an interview or no? No. no. Okay. No. Yeah. Let, let's, we'll talk about it. But, but the reason I say this is because everyone tries to make it sound like business yeah. is perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. Unicorns and rainbows. So. Yeah. So I'm just keeping it real. But I could say yeah. that um, it, it, everything happens for a reason. I'm much happier today and I'm glad that it happened. I would change some way, mm -hmm. things that happen with it. But I'm much happier with coaching now. I wouldn't be talking to you. I wouldn't know you. Right. If I was, I'd be a real estate agent in New Brunswick, Canada, right? If that hadn't happened. So right. everything happens for a reason. Good deal. So if you get stuck with a mechanism, that's your business. And this is the way, the only way you can earn revenue. And you start getting locked into that mindset of this is it. This is the only thing I've got. You do have an option. You have yeah. billions of options. Just drop that thing. 
<laughs> if it's horrible. Well, don't don't pigeonhole on. yourself. I pigeonholed myself into thinking I was a quote real estate guy because that's all I'd done since university. So I thought I had to do real estate. You don't have to do it. It'd be pretty boring if you did the same thing for 80 years or however mm -hmm. long you did, right? Um, now, unfortunately for me, coaching wasn't what it was back then. But the opportunity, a lot of things I did in real estate pre prepared me for coaching, even something simple like I did a daily blog, a mm -hmm. daily real estate blog. I now do daily emails for my coaching business. I can do that because I was used to writing a daily blog back in real estate. So daily emails are nothing for me. I can pound right. them out quickly. So right. there you go. Yeah, the 20 minute habit. <laughs> yeah, that's Can't right. To it. So let's move into the coaching business, which you're running now. You help coaches grow their businesses. Yes. That is the main thing. Um, Let's with, with no paid ads. That's a thing I always put on the joiner. So it's all organic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you've got a great group called the coaching jungle. Thank you. On Facebook, which people could go join and maybe learn something in. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're not as pessimistic in the group. I'm actually a very positive guy. So Jay, you're like my therapist or something. I'm on the couch. Mm -hmm. I've never been to a therapist, but you're, you're, I'm on the couch. You're asking me questions. So right. Right. Well, I want to share the real challenges and yep. struggles in scaling a company and that it's not always going to work out. Sometimes you get kicked in the nuts. And what do you do about it? Right. Yeah. Um, don't take it so bad. Right. It's, it's just business in a sense. If you, well, it's funny because there's, there's, and I know people will roll their eyes because mm -hmm. it sounds so cliche, but you have to find the silver lining in any, mm -hmm negative thing and and who was it napoleon hill that said for every adversity mm -hmm. there's an equal benefit or whatever right um i look at it now in coaching i do a lot of interviews like this where i go on people's shows and mm -hmm. stuff like that and i'm like man my story is kind of boring because i've actually interviewed people who um, have been in prison who have been through uh, like almost dying like on their deathbed all these crazy stories I'm like eh, I went through a closure in real estate you know that's right. pretty boring compared to some of these this back stories but it, my story would be different um, if I hadn't gone through that closure and I just yeah I grew up middle class typical lifestyle and I joined became a coach you're like right. oh okay great interview thank <laughs> you Mark <laughs> let's dig into what challenges some of your best coaching clients have experienced as they begin to scale. What have they come to you with and said, Oh my gosh, I had no idea this was going to happen as I started becoming more successful and taking on more clients. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I had a call today that touched on this. The client, the coach is getting more clients, which is great. Now she doesn't have the time to do the things that she did to get the clients. Same thing used to happen in real estate. Somebody would prospect, 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 work really hard. Then all of a sudden, oh, I got all this new business listings, new buyers and all that stuff. I'm good. Then they would sell all those and, oh, shoot, I don't have any new clients to come mm -hmm. in to replace it. So I think that's a problem with coaches. They think, oh, I'm good now. I don't have to keep putting out engaging content. I don't have to keep doing offers or webinars or whatever because I'm good. And uh, one of the things that I do now that, that I've um, – I say make a quote comeback. I've made a comeback in business, but I'm I'm a it's a paranoid comeback. I don't want to rest on my laurels. I'm always grinding hard. And there hasn't been one day since uh, I started this in early 2014 that I haven't worked. I was in Mexico in February. I went with my cousin. He's like, 
I'm like, yep, I'm going to need an hour in the hotel room on my laptop, you know, go on the beach, have a drink, have fun, but I'm doing my work. So there hasn't been one day that I've taken my foot off the gas because I am, I've been there from having money to losing money to having money again. I don't want to lose it again. So I'm a very paranoid optimist. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one of those life lessons. So yes. when they start running out of time to do fulfillment, what do you recommend that they do? Well, probably the best thing is to probably raise their prices. Yeah. And, uh, I just uh, finished reading, um, Sean D'Souza has some great books, Psycho, hmm. Psycho Tactics, I think that's his company. And that's what he says too. The problem with charging low amounts may make you feel good if you can fill up things, but you, you don't have any time to yourself. Uh, so my recommendation for any coach like that, if your book solid, you got a waiting list, all that other stuff, there's obviously demand for what you're doing. You probably have to bump your fees up and odds are they have to be bumped up considerably. I, I do it every six months. I'm in the process of going through another one. Not always the easiest thing to do because you get mm -hmm. thinking the little voice in your head says, Oh, you're going to lose all your clients or all this stuff, but it, it's something that should be done. So my first thing would recommend to that person would be to restructure their business to increase their fees and mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, if you're listening and you run a professional services firm or consultancy, same thing, same, that advice goes for you too. Our last question, I guess, what is the biggest, they don't know what they don't know thing that you're like, Oh man, I wish you guys, I wish I could just install this automatically into all of your brains. Mm. <laughs> you know this. Well, um, I mean, this is applicable to coaches, but I think also across the board for people who would be listening to this, when they jump into the business, they think that they're going to be spending the majority of their time coaching, doing what mm. they want to do. 80% of their time, 90% of the time will be coaching. And then uh, 10 or 20% will be doing a little bit of paperwork and <laughs> responding to a few emails, but the bulk of the time we'll be coaching and that's, it's flipped. You're lucky if you're coaching 20% of the time, it's probably less. Most of your time spent finding the clients mm -hmm. and the same goes for people uh, who would be listening to this as well. The other thing too is a lot of people don't, they know that they're in business, but they don't treat it like a business. They don't act like entrepreneurs. They don't respect themselves they don't have boundaries set up right they're doing uh, we could do god five shows on this but they're letting people pick their brain they're doing mm -hmm. virtual coffee chats that have absolutely no purpose except to waste everyone's time and they're just not being smart about it so whenever i talk to somebody if i meet a new coach if, you, if i just met you and you're, you're a coach i wouldn't say hey jason why did you become a coach i would say why did you start a coaching business i combine those two words coaching and business because a lot of people get into coaching come from hr backgrounds teaching or things that they never had to sell or they weren't in business before i want to stress to them hey you're a business as much so as a coach or more so than a coach you're an entrepreneur you're a business Right. Yeah, that <laughs> there's a post on my uh, blog at salestactics.org about how much time should you spend prospecting. And I've laid it out pretty much as you say, especially in the in the early going when nobody knows who you are. Yeah. And you don't get any referrals. And you just have to grind it out to find clients, it's going to take you a ton of your time. And if you're spending your time playing around with your website, or cleaning the company washroom, <laughs> Instead of going and finding clients, you will die. <laughs> Working on your logo for like right. two years. Well, I see right. it in mine. There's a fork in the road that you have to choose away. So with coaching, but other businesses too, 
you could either go the paid advertising route, mm-hmm. but unfortunately a lot of say solopreneurs, coaches can't, they can't, they don't have the money to throw into that. So you gotta go either the co- the paid advertising route or the organic route, but you have to choose one or a combination of the two. I see a lot of coaches say, well, I don't have money to throw into Facebook ads, but it's too much work to put out that organic content. So they're stuck in the middle. They run into a tree between those two paths and that's not good either. The, here's the other silver lining from going through the business closure and all that crap that happened. I didn't have a war chest to throw into Facebook ads. So I had to make up for that when I started and I still do today. I still do a ton of organic. I had to make up with it with organic effort, roll up my sleeves and that helped me become better, refine my message more quickly than if I was just throwing thousands of dollars into Facebook ads. Great. Well, some very powerful stories and tips for, especially for, I think, solo consultants wanting to scale their business. That That's a good uh, mesh up here. Um, how can people find you, Mark? What's the best way for them to connect with you if they're like, hey, I like what this guy's saying and yeah. I want to learn more? Yeah, the main site is naturalborncoaches.com or there's the Facebook group, as you mentioned, thecoachingjungle.com. Thecoachingjungle.com will get you there. Awesome. Okay, well, I appreciate you being here today, Mark. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jason. You bet.